This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. For more than a decade, Vanderpump Rules has been a hit reality show on the Bravo Network. The latest series has become infamous due to a much-discussed affair between two members of its cast. The whole thing has been nicknamed Scandoval and has led to record-breaking ratings, countless memes, even a joke at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Vanderpump Rules on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Joining me today is Emil Niazi, freelance writer and columnist at The Cut. Hi, Emil. Hi. I'm so excited to be doing this right now. <laughs> excited to have you. Also with us is culture writer and critic Shamira Ibrahim. Hey, Shamira. Hey, Stephen. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you both. So I know the two of you follow this show closely and have many thoughts. But before we get started, I do want to give a quick bit of background for those who might be new to the Bravo cinematic universe. Vanderpump Rules began as the first ever spinoff of Bravo's Real Housewives. Restaurateur Lisa Vanderpump was a mainstay on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And on this show, we follow her and the staff of her restaurants in LA. The cast of Vanderpump Rules has evolved quite a bit over the years, with new people coming and going, getting married and divorced, hooking up, fighting, fighting about hooking up, and and so on. In season 10, the principal cast includes a cluster of friends, enemies, and frenemies as they plod through this waking life. Two guys named Tom, Tom Schwartz and Tom Sandoval, are trying to get a restaurant off the ground. Sandoval's partner Ariana and Schwartz's ex-wife Katie are planning to open a sandwich shop. Raquel, who's a server at a Vanderpump restaurant, recently broke off her engagement with James, who's a DJ. Sheena is a podcaster who's marrying an Australian named Brock. And Lala is looking to get back into dating after the collapse of her engagement to disgraced Hollywood producer Randall Emmett. But late in season 10, things get 
much more serious as we learn that for several months, Raquel has been having a secret affair with Tom Sandoval. Tom's been in a serious relationship with Ariana for many years. Raquel has been in conflict all season with people who've been accusing her of other illicit relationships. She's also very close friends with Ariana. It is a huge mess, news of which doesn't fully break wide open until the season's nearly over. So we wound up with a three-part reunion fiasco in which there was much yelling. You backstabbing hoe? Get in my face again, I'll you up, motherfucker. I'll you up so quickly, Tom. You're a worm with a mustache. The Raquel and Sandoval imbroglio, which has taken on the hashtag Scandoval, has had a huge impact on these people's lives. You can stream all 10 seasons of Vanderpump Rules over at Peacock. Emil Niazi, we have so much to unpack, but I'm going to start with you. For those who don't follow the Bravo Cinematic Universe, why is Scandoval such a big deal? Scandoval, I think, really gripped people's imaginations because of the incredible level of betrayal that was taking place. Like, I know we bandy about this word Shakespearean so often these days. It's ascribed to this show and that show, but it really did feel Shakespearean in its level of malice and truly just betrayal. So imagine if your partner of, you know, nearly a decade is not just cheating on you with one of your very closest friends whom you sort of took under your wing in order to help her thrive and Mm -hmm. find herself after a bad relationship, but they flaunted it in front of your face for almost a year and they got matching necklaces and they wore funny outfits. They had inside jokes and they were doing it all right in front of your face. The amount of pain and torture, it's despicable. And there was a conversation in this season between Ariana and Raquel, where Raquel is, you know, having this very sort of intimate, you know, friend conversation, trying to ask Ariana about the state of her relationship with Tom. And it's the kind of relationship conversation you have with someone who you're very close to, who you trust Mm -hmm. implicitly. And she's sort of poking at Ariana to get her to admit that they don't have sex and that, you know, she doesn't see them having a future. I feel like in a relationship you should want to, like, have sex. Okay, but you have to be, like, emotionally intimate so you guys physically intimate. We're emotionally intimate at one point, obviously, right? Yeah, like, otherwise you wouldn't spend get a house time together. together. Do you feel like you're sexually attracted to him? But what happens is Ariana says she does love Tom and she wants to stay with him. And you can see the disappointment in Raquel's face. And to know uh, now that the whole time she was sleeping with Tom, it just blew people's minds. And I think that that's why there was such a guttural, visceral reaction to this news, because it just you can't imagine anyone being so heartless. How about you, Shamira? You know, I think in the reality TV ecosystem, it's really difficult to find a show that escapes the kind of production traps that happens when a show becomes mature over the years. A show exists for five plus years. People are very focused on their image, curating narratives for themselves, really crafting a way to protect themselves and sell their own brands, sell whatever merchandise. This really pierced the veil of really being able to create entertaining TV and sensational TV in a way that's really kind of authentic to their early seasons, where they were young, fresh on the scene, trying to, you know, become stars by any means possible. 
a lot of these scandals happen a lot of the time. The heft of the betrayal is significant, for sure, right? But it was also the fact that we were able to get those emotions raw and in the moment. They didn't delay them till the next season. And as they were filming... For the Bravo fan base, they were able to play detective at the same time in the buildup to knowing that the scenes we were going to see were as raw as possible. We knew, oh, they're filming something that just broke on the press. Production had actually cut for this season. They chose to pick up the cameras, and now we can predict what we think is probably happening because now, you know, the internet is everywhere. And so it provided a level of gravitas of everyone's level of stakes in the situation where a lot of reality TV is about the show within the show, and it becomes an experience that all of the fans can participate in because we've essentially watched them grow up for 10 years. Well, yeah, and you have the effect almost like, you know, uh, uh, if you see a really good mystery and there's a big twist at the end that Mm -hmm. recontextualizes everything you've seen up to that point. Exactly. There is this kind of mystery that's unfolding. Mm -hmm. I watched season 10 after all this stuff broke. I watched it and it was really interesting thinking about how I'm viewing the show knowing what I know versus how I would have watched this show not knowing what I knew. Right. And how different my allegiances would have been. Mm-hmm. Even knowing what I knew, I was frustrated watching the season with how much bullying of Raquel was going on. And, right. and I really felt like Raquel was mistreated for big chunks of this season. At the same time, knowing what you know, it does hit very differently. And the level of betrayal is really wild to watch. And I think it's a really good point you make how carefully curated the lives are on the show. These people are all trying to be Instagram influencers. Right. The ecosystem here is really different from what at least I'm used to in my day-to-day life. And it's interesting to watch this where, like, all of a sudden something really actually raw is happening. And this is a legitimate friend group. Like, you know, a lot of reality TV are people who are brought together for the purpose of making reality TV. You know, this is as close to a late 20s experience as you can get, right? You know, the show was brought together with the premises of a bunch of people who work in West Hollywood who one day dreamed of being a model slash actor slash musician, whatever the slashes can be, right? You know, and the person who happens to be their boss happens to also be a reality TV star who has an opportunity to put them on a camera, right? Mm -hmm. And now those dreams completely transition to, well, we're making more money this way than we are getting these, you know, nominal bookings as background actors or making these nominal, you know, filming reels, right? And now they're legitimate reality TV stars. So all the shifting group dynamics are not just shifting group dynamics on camera, it's shifting group dynamics that happen within anything that would cause chaos within like any sort of group of associates, right? The same way you would text group text each other amongst your friends about who did what with who. That's the same way that people are doing on Reddit because it has the same level of chaos, which adds a level of heft versus people who are more so negotiating over contracts or salary or if I'm going to sit down with this person, I need this amount of money. You know that there's a level of personal significance on top of, of course, the financial impact and all of the other branding implications that come with it. It's interesting. The core conflict at the end of the season revolves around an affair as Shakespearean as that betrayal can feel, it's also just the oldest story ever told, right? Like, he's having a midlife crisis. She is kind of at this phase in her life post-breakup where she's Kool-Aid manning through every boundary she can find. (laughs) And in some ways, it's that's like a cliche. Right. I didn't find their affair particularly interesting and don't find them particularly interesting as people. But... What's different is you've spent an entire season, and maybe it's 10 entire seasons, with people squabbling about things that 
aren't actually terribly important, Mm -hmm. but you suddenly put them in a position where what they're squabbling about is a real issue. And that's a very different feeling. I actually feel like the quotidian nature of it is what makes it so relatable and why so many casual viewers can access that relationship in a way that other incidents that have been way scandalous over the years, which I'm sure Emil can also testify to, right, (laughs) have been uniquely ridiculous, right? You know, but knowing that two people choose to get into an affair and completely rupture a friend group, right? You know, a lot of people can access that level of heartbreak, right, of a longtime partner who you thought you could build a life with. So you start to project and really connect to like whatever experience you have, right, with previous heartbreak, however that destroyed you. And that becomes an extension of, oh, Ariana is me, right? Ariana is all the words I wish I could have said to my ex who destroyed me. And now she gets to sit and give, you know, that defiant final moment, right? She gets to sit on the couch and tell the ex who is your ex, who is all the terrible exes you've ever had, right? That you are nothing to me, right? And ride off into the sunset and get all the great branding opportunities and be the person person who rose above in the abyss of all the terrible, trash, misogynist men who have never really accomplished anything, right? And that is a lot more accessible than a lot of the more dramatic things, which is, for example, Lala's story, which is something that is a very Hollywood story, someone who was with a CD producer, right, got exploited. That's a very complicated story to navigate. A lot of people don't know how to relate to something like that, which is like a power imbalance, child custody issues, what that comes with. I wanted to talk a little bit about the parasocial relationships that the audience has with this show. And you guys are are super fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, what is the depth? What is the lowest point of your parasocial relationship with the people on this show? I mean, I don't consider it to be a low, my relationship uh, with <laughs> I'm this. I'm sorry, what are the heights? What are the, <laughs> the, the heights, exactly. What precipice? What is the precipice? <laughs> well, I've been watching since day one. I'm not a bandwagon jumper. I didn't hear about something scandalous and start watching. I've been with these people since they were truly just, you know, servers at Sexy, unique restaurant, restaurant. Sexy, unique <laughs> restaurant, restaurant. <laughs> Which is the name of Lisa Vanderpump's <laughs> flagship restaurant. But I will say that I felt in the beginning that I did have to apologize for watching a show like this. And I would often get comments from people saying, oh, but you know, you're so smart. Why do you watch a show like this? And I always found it very offensive. Mm -hmm. You can engage critically with a show like this, that reality television can have more to say about the human experience than, you know, prestige television. And I found that I still did have some shame in, for example, following them on social media or Mm. looking up their interpersonal relationships beyond the show. I've been sort of flabbergasted watching what's happened as a result of Scandaval and the now I, I'll admit to the the low depths that that it seems this relationship has sunk to people wanting to, you know, destroy the restaurant that Tom Sandoval is a part of. People finding where, you know, Raquel is staying to get mental health treatment and, you know, trying to infiltrate that and really crossing a, a line that is preserving people's health at this point, preserving their right. safety. And that's where I, I draw the line for myself personally is, yes, of course, when the news first started breaking, I immediately went to James Kennedy's Instagram page and <laughs> looked for his comments on Tom Sandoval's page and tried to decipher things. And I think we love the Easter eggs as, as Shamira has, sure. has brought up that sort of solving the mystery in real time. But when it does really impact real people in real lives, I feel that's where I I sort of ask myself, like, have we taken it too far? Has it 
gone too far and are we putting people in danger? It didn't feel good watching the reunion and seeing Raquel be called nothing over and over again by, you know, a panel of of men and women, her peers. It was just horrible to watch. And that, you know, I did feel like I was sinking to a dark place watching that thinking, am I participating in this humiliation of, of a young woman? And am I deriving pleasure from it? This season, what really was like my low points was just like my need to consume information. I've never once commented on a um, Bravo Liberty or a reality influencer's posts or replied or DM'd, mostly because there's a possibility that I may interact with them at some point or interview them for something. So it just feels a little bit like crossing a threshold for me. But when I'm fixated on something, I need to consume everything possible. So I have listened to a depth of podcasts that I did not even know existed. Like I am probably in the 0.05% of Sheena Shea's shenanigans podcast. I have listened to that like first thing in the morning, right? You know, it drops. I am there, right? Krista Dowdy, I'm here for her redemption tour, right? I don't know who Nick Vile was. I don't watch The Bachelor, right? I know who he is now. <laughs> when it started to get into the space of aggressive, you know, harassment and conspiracy theory, oh, is she pregnant? Did Brock sleep with Raquel? Like, all these things are beyond the pale for me in the way that I don't think it's entertaining, right? Now you're kind of in the true crime podcast industrial complex mm-hmm. in a way that I don't find amusing beyond, of course, additionally, like the violence and the defacing property or whatever. I think all of that is unnecessary and also just abusive, right? And those are not things I've ever condoned in any capacity. I think that Bravo has kind of constructed the last the later years of the reality ecosystem in a way that it's almost like wrestling, but you have to acknowledge that if it's like wrestling, great, right? But then engage in the fantasy of it. Don't cross the threshold into then participating in the violence, right? That is the part that started to make me very uncomfortable where people felt that it was justified to do all these things. It's like people are not going to stop loving their friends. You don't, if your personal friend does an awful thing, you're not going to stop talking to them, right? Like that's reality. So that was where it started to go beyond the pale for me in a way that I thought was, okay, I don't want to think I'm part of this person just because we listen to the same podcast and now they're jumping out and doing the same thing. You start to wonder like, what bucket am I in at this point just because we're in the same part of the same information funnel, right? Yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. And I, I, there were several points in the season that made me really uneasy mm-hmm. as a viewer, like feeling like I'm participating in something that I shouldn't be participating in. And mm-hmm. I think earlier in the season, these pileups on Raquel that really feel like bullying, mm-hmm. there's clearly an imbalance how women are treated for their transgressions versus mm-hmm. how men are treated for their transgressions, mm-hmm. which sometimes they're even willing to comment on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Raquel herself uses the phrase slut-shaming at some point. But the show is like occasionally comment commenting on it while how much do you feel like it's participating in it? I feel like if you watched the last five minutes of the final reunion episode, it felt like the producer was really goading Raquel to go further than she wanted to go, pushed her past the point of discomfort, Mm -hmm. the point of tears, a point where she didn't want to cross. And she very vocally said, well, I don't want to betray the one person I have left. And the producer kept saying, but why not? Just do it. Just say it. And that felt designed not to protect the person participating, not to protect Raquel. It felt designed to satiate the viewer's hunger and desire and curiosity. And at that point, I felt like, okay, the show has gone from 
isn't this crazy to how much crazier can we make it for you? Because we know that you as the audience are craving more and more. And they even built that final moment up throughout the last three weeks saying there's going to be this reveal at the end of the episode that is going to change everything. And so the amount of speculation was so over the top. But I also remember reading in the comments, people saying, I'll be so upset if it's not as chaotic as I want it to be. And so I could feel the producer actively trying to milk that moment. And it felt very wrong. I really felt like the show was actively participating in someone's demise. And that's never what you want to be a part of. Right. I think that because of the buildup over the weeks, right, a lot of people started building up ridiculous expectations. I really felt like what that was really trying to do was honestly resituate the dynamics of the group, right? You know, in the context of, okay, I'm going to remove Tom Sandoval's consistent narrative throughout the reunion of, it was one instance, no, you were a consistent mistress, which the argument or or the semantics of what a mistress is or is not that continued throughout the reunion was completely absurd, Mm -hmm. but that's neither here nor there, right? You know, but remove the idea of, I made this one mistake. We belabored over it. It's like, no, we've committed to this one thing for months, right? Because at the end of the day, when it comes to casting, it's about who will film with who for various scenes because it's about who gets along with who. (laughs) I really thought that moment was really more so about, okay, now people are realizing that she needs to not be on this camera for some time, right? She needs to Mm -hmm. take some break. She has clearly been put through a level of abuse that is really affecting her And it's Tom who has been manipulated a narrative that has now really put the rest of the group in a really fragile position. Do you find, as you've watched this show over the course of 10 seasons, do you have favorites? Do you have people that you relate to closely that you like and not just monitor on TV? For me, I think that having favorites or like teams on reality TV is a little bit counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, Everyone is going to lie or make a mistake or construct a perspective of themselves over the years, right? It's really about trying to figure out the whole picture of them as a human and really trying to get an understanding of them. So I will be like, I think this person was right in this circumstance, right? Because two seasons later, that person will be completely wrong in a very similar circumstance. like. Like, for example, Katie Maloney is someone who has been very maligned over the years, right, on Vanderpump Rules. I have always felt like, oh, well, yes, she has done awful things, definitely, has used a lot of horophobic language on the show, right? I think that's, you know, speaking to the way that people have applied misogyny um, throughout the show. But I've also felt, well, a lot of it is because she's a miserable person, right? And when I say miserable, I don't mean because... She is a bad person because she has been in a miserable relationship. She has been lashing out because of the misery in her relationship. And you see that a lot in the show. That doesn't mean that I defend every single thing she does. That just means that I see her as a whole person. And so when you start making team whatever, then it acts like I have to defend the fact that she started calling, you know, Raquel a whore or called Sheena a whore for a season. As opposed to, no, I just understand the context as to like why she was bad. She fell through a skylight and had a traumatic brain injury, right? You know, there are things that happen to people that you can understand. I think when you start going very hard on the teen thing, that's when the the stand behavior happens on social media in a way that mm-hmm. lends itself to the kind of inappropriate and excessive harassing behavior that you see now, right? I like some people. I definitely have favorites. I really like Ariana, I've always liked her Mm -hmm. since her appearance on the show. I've always felt that she 
has had a kind of a remove from a lot of the gossip and sort of bad behavior. You can see her try so hard this season to appease both sides of this feud. People are upset with Raquel. She really wants to defend that friendship. People are upset with Katie. She really wants to protect that relationship. I end up liking some of the <laughs> really terrible people. Like I can't help but have a soft spot for James Kennedy. I feel like Ooh, he no. he started bad <laughs> and he got progressively worse. But then he has these moments. He's almost like a kind of a a puck character to me, where he'll have mm. this like moment of brilliance and say what everyone's mm-hmm. thinking. But then he's you know scheming and mischievous, and he. But ultimately, he's his own worst enemy. And I feel the same way about Tom Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And yet, there is this charm. There, there's something about him where you don't totally end up hating him. And and he knows that. And people talk about it very openly in the show. Like, how is he getting away with all of this stuff? And mm-hmm. everyone else is taking the blame. So mm-hmm. I wish I could be a bit more removed and not have favorites. But there's definitely people I really like and people I really don't like. And on the flip side of what you're saying, Shamira, is Someone like Katie, to me, I think I'll always dislike her and mm-hmm. nothing she can do will ever redeem that in my eyes. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I think fair. you're correct in saying, you know, if you stand too hard for someone, then you do feel that you're making apologies for their bad behavior. Whereas for me, mm-hmm. it's like, I will never like Katie. And no matter what redemptive arc she has, I'll always find a way of being like, yeah, but it's Katie Maloney. So that's fair. I do end up, you know, <laughs> choosing sides and playing favorites because yeah. how can you not? It's It's a bit like sports, you know? Right. I should add a caveat. I will never, ever, ever be okay with Jax Taylor. Like, I should add that caveat. No, no, agreed. Agreed. (laughs) And I always say that because there's like a slow movement to reintegrate him into the universe in a way that Mm. literally gives me hives. So, yeah. I do think with somebody like James, he's sort of the embodiment of that classic clickhole headline, heartbreaking, the worst person you know just made a great point. Exactly. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. I think in some ways he is my least favorite person on this show. Because <laughs> somebody asked me at one point, like, well, who, you know, who do you like? Who do you hate? And I was like, I think my least favorite person is whoever's speaking in any given moment. <laughs> That's fair. I think Lala is so vicious. Yeah. She's gone through genuine hardship. I have several moments throughout the season where I sympathize with her, in some cases deeply. But, oh, she is just such a bully. Yeah. But, Shamira, I love the point you made about looking at each of these people as entire human beings who are never 100% one thing. I think that's a, a very generous and correct way to look at the world. I think Lala, someone I have a soft spot for. I have many critiques of her. I am not 100% a fan of hers, but I think a lot of her performance, and she would be the first one to admit that a lot of it is a performance, right? Uh, I don't think that's an unfair rendering of, of what I have to say about her, is that she has a resentment over the fact that she has not been given a complete narrative on the show. The fact that she doesn't get complete context over her behavior, right? Mm. A lot of the people who, for example, are critiquing her over her relationship with Randall being transactional, those same people were asking Randall for money (laughs) for projects. But that's conveniently forgotten, right? Because somehow she was the one who made the moral indecision and somehow broke up a marriage with a woman. Mm. And those two are since 
friendly. But all these things are conveniently ignored because she's the mistress, right? And that doesn't make her less of a bully. That doesn't make her less obstinate. That doesn't make her less doing too much for screen time. But it's like, at what point do we get the moment of reflection to say, a lot of what Lala has been through is effectively a classic Me Too story. At what point do we go, she was engaged to the man who is directly participant in Bruce Willis's decline. And so having that context and removing it from just like a nasty comeback for a scene, right? And letting her have that arc, I think would allow a lot of air out of it so that I can critique her properly. Like I'm tired of her using AAVE improperly. Like every time she does it, I cringe and I want to lay down and I'm like, you're from Salt Lake City, please relax. There's plenty of (laughs) things that I can say about Lala that I would be the first to stand up and say wrong, but she's clearly itchy for the ability to even say her story properly, the same way a lot of these characters are. And she has the right to have it critiqued, but I think she wants it to be told in the first place. And there's always just something else superseding it. Like this Randall situation is this year and Scandal superseded it, right? Yeah, this is a complicated, messy show full of complicated, messy stories. Uh, we want to know what you think about Vanderpump Rules. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Emil Niazi, Shamira Ibrahim, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy and Mike Katzif. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson and we will see you all tomorrow. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.